2: Hello and welcome to Caged In As Ever, brought to you by the Breadcrumbs Collective and hosted by me, Petros Pat Syllabus. If you're new here to this podcast, what we do is we watch every single Nicolas Cage film in chronological order to determine is he the greatest actor of all time? You join us for episode 98. 98th outing for Cage thereabouts. It's probably um Some very small ones. Yeah, but it's the ninety-eighth episode of this strand of the podcast. And I don't do it alone. No, I'm joined by a guest each week to help me answer that question and discuss the film. And I was very fortunate to be joined by somebody who is an absolute legend when it comes to british criticism and just uh, a fountain of knowledge on all things film and all things dracula and that was pertinent for this chat because we are discussing the 2023 chris mckay directed horror comedy renfield and my guest is the one and only kim newman uh this chat is slightly different than others We we'll probably don't dive into the film as deeply as we would do we just kind of talk about the coppola's fascination with dracula uh cage's portrayal cage's fascination with the character as well and just a broad overview of dracula within cinema literature and kim's own outings of his novel series anno dracula there's all types of fun stuff to sink your teeth into. Ignore the pun, but it wasn't unintentional. That was very unintentional pun. So, yeah, so uh, sit back and enjoy my chat with Kim Newman about all things Dracula and Renfield. We're heading to New Orleans to join Dracula and his long-suffering familiar as we take a look at 2023's horror comedy Renfield directed by Chris McKay with a script by Ryan Ridley based on a story by Robert Kirkman. The film stars Nicholas Holt, Aquafina, Ben Schwartz playing the Lord of Leisure himself, the one and only Nicholas Cage. Joining me to take a bite of the neck of this film is writer, critic, novelist, broadcaster, and a man, I'm pretty sure, if there's anything to know about Dracula that he doesn't already know, it's not worth knowing. Kim Newman. How are you tonight, Kim?
1: I'm very well, thank you.
2: Well, I, 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 I've got to ask you, as I ask all my guests when they first come on this podcast, is, are you a Nicolas Cage fan, Kim? Obviously, you're a film fan, you're a horror fan. Uh, but Yeah, I,
1: yeah I, uh, I, I've probably seen uh, more of his works than the average viewer, because i, uh, I do the dir- yeah the director anything non theatrical column in empire so i've i'm au fait with uh, the the two or three films he makes in between the films everybody's heard yes. of yeah 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 uh, you, you... uh which which he does regularly you know so I've, I've yeah i've seen stuff like that. the the one with the the lions loose on the boat oh uh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. The bank robbery set in America, shot in Bulgaria, all those films. I've seen them as well as uh, the, the the top of the line Nicholas
2: Cage film. Amazing! You're a man in the trenches like me, Kim. Yes. I, I, I've I've been to those high, lowest of lows, and I've been I've been to the highest of highs. So it's it's good to know. Yeah, it's it's, it's amazing to know you're, you're well versed in that stuff. Um, what would have been the first Nicolas Cage film that you you remember seeing, or, or was there oh, one? I know.
1: I think it was
2: Rumblefish what was the what was the impact of well, obviously that's not one that he what was well, the impact it, it, from mean, that But it was
1: the first film yeah. I, mean, I, I I I looked it up and I I hadn't seen for instance at that time Fast Times at Rum, at uh, Richmond High or Valley Girl I didn't catch up with those until later <laughs> so Rumblefish was the first film I, I saw him in um, and obviously he's not the lead in that he's just part of an, an ensemble he's pretty good um, and I think, and after that, weirdly, it was Racing with the Moon, was I think the next of his films that was theatrically released in mm-hmm. Britain. And I was working as a critic then, so I saw that. Um, I have to say, yeah, it wasn't until I looked it up today that I even remembered he was in Racing with the Moon. <laughs> A, a film that, frankly, almost nobody remembers anyway. No. Yeah, um, I haven't seen it since the press show. I uh, and I, I mean, I remember Sean Penn's in it. It's a nineteen forties set kind of uh, mixed up kid movie, but that's about it. Um, probably the first of, of, of the of starring performances would have been Peggy Sue Got Married, but I think that that may well be the the, the thing that.
2: Uh, most established him, you
1: know, as, as, as an international guest.
2: What was the impression? Did that leave a lasting impression on you, Kim? Like, were you like, I want to see more of this guy? Or were you put off as as put off as the voice as uh, Kathleen Turner was? Um,
1: I thought he was good in that, actually. I, the, the one that everybody loves that I really didn't like was Moonstruck, uh-huh. um, which... It, I mean, I remember a lot of people at the time like it. And it's a film a lot of people have warmed up to over the years. I remember just thinking it was terrible. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. But that said, I, re- I loved racing Arizona. Um, yes. and, yeah. And from there, it was like wild at heart and, and, uh, uh, and some of the more eccentric choices along the way vampires kiss, which I imagine we're going to talk about. A bit. <laughs> but,
2: well, yeah, that was like 1987. So like kind of like, uh, a- an important year in kind of Nicolas Cage's career because he yeah he had Raising Arizona, Moonstruck, and I believe he filmed Vampire's Kiss. It was almost like this kind yeah,
1: of yeah. But he's uh, but beforehand he was um, yeah Francis Coppola's nephew who was put in a couple of Coppola films. Yeah yeah. Um, and I think probably it wasn't until, until around that period of having Peggy Sue Moonstruck. Raising Arizona in a in a glut. It was like then I, he became an actor that people knew. That yeah uh, yeah he was a, a, a recognised name rather than just one of many uh, <laughs> yeah, people who were around. And what? what male ingenues. Yeah.
2: So let's let let us talk about Vampire's Kiss. Was that one that you, you managed to catch at the time, or is is that one you oh, caught yes, later? I, I,
1: I, the press show reviewed it for the monthly film Bulletin, I think. Uh, yeah, I liked it. I liked it then. I like. I've seen it again. I like it now. Um, it is certainly an eccentric movie. Mm-hmm. Um and, and probably a slightly misunderstood one, but yeah. Uh and interestingly, it's I I don't know if Robert Robert Kirkman thought. About it, but it's another film which a vampire is a toxic boss. Yes, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that that certainly uh, Cage uses a few of the, um, yeah, a- acting tricks, as it were, that he'd done in in Vampire's Kiss. But I think that's in because in Vampire's Kiss, he is very much borrowing bits of Max shrek in Nosferatu. One hundred percent. Yeah. Um, but and actually, what. Uh, uh, and of course, the, the 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 film that he's not in that he produced, Shadow the Vampire, mm-hmm. is all as Willem Defoe as Max Schreck. Uh, and on, the, I think it was on, um, yeah, an interview he did around that time, he pointed out that Max Schreck's performance in Nosferatu owes quite a bit to John Barrymore's performance in Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, um, <laughs> and you can see that there's there is a sort of um, the silent cinema style that he does sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Certainly, it's what he seems to associate with with yeah vampires.
2: Well, yeah, that's kind of Nicolas Cage's. Well, he kind of brings that in, right? We saw it. We saw it pa- uh, pastiched in the unbearable weight of massive talent. That his favourite film is the Cabinet of Dr Caligari. But I think yeah. that that that's pulled from real Nicolas Cage, right? And the fact that
1: yeah, he no, he's always been like a. a the film fan the comics fan and and uh yeah a genuinely wide cultural interest yeah mm-hmm. uh, i and, and i think that, that that manifests sort of I obviously it, there's something about dracula and his family because his brother made a dracula movie. Well, yeah the the,
2: the tendrils but, go quite
0: like
1: the wide movie. yeah, yeah yes. he made that before his uncle made Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> that, that, uh, even Sophia Coppola was in the TV show of What We Do in the Shadow.
2: Yeah. So, yeah. And, and if you kind of like look at the Coppola family, like as I do on this podcast, in like yes. a wider spectrum, and you look at like the Schwartzman side of the family. So, John Schwartzman, who uh, is the, yeah, a, a DOP, uh, one of his early films was Rockula. So the, yeah. the, the the canon films like yeah, yeah. Uh, Dr- uh, Dracula comedy and then Dracula Untold as well when they were trying to kind of revitalize the. Yeah.
1: It's a yeah. You know, so there's a thing, and I and I, I know that about the time that Francis Coppola made Dracula, he pointed out that that in The Godfather, Marlon Brando is impersonating Dracula when he dies. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does that thing with the uh, making fangs out of orange yes, peel. Yes, yes. Um, and has a laugh back doing that. So, plainly, it's something that's, uh, the, yeah, the story means a lot to to them, Yeah, as obviously it does to me. Uh,
2: well, you you saying that, Kim. What was your first encounter of the character of Dracula? Was it through the book or, or was it through? I,
1: officially. My first encounter was with the Bela Lugosi film. That was the the transformational um, film in my life. I mean, however, of course, I can go back. To, like, I think the first time I saw Dracula was on Doctor Who. Uh, I, but the thing is, in that, it turns out to be a robot. Uh, <laughs> but I know I'd seen Dracula in. Uh, carry on Christmas you know Peter Butterworth plays Dracula in that and I'm sure I'd seen comedians doing Dracula or that Bugs Bunny cartoon stuff Uh like that but but it was the the Lugosi film is, is kind of where I come in to the genre and the character uh and I and obviously again um Renfield relates to that very closely
2: yeah, with that, that kind of amazing Dwight Fry performance, right, as, as Renfield, like, kind of... It's a, it's a film much to my shame. Like, I only kind of caught in the run-up to... to yeah, to, to Renfield coming out, because, like, it's kind of been a massive blind spot of mine. It's kind of, like... and, and that, One of the reasons I wanted to get, get you on the podcast was to kind of, I don't know, maybe, like, give us some... Where this film kind of fits in the kind of... Because there's, there's a pantheon of Dracula in cinema. And, like, yeah. what do you think it is, that this fascination with the character that is kind of revisited all, all the time, Kim?
1: It's not because there, there are, like, two or three other Dracula movies coming up this year. Uh-huh. Uh, and they, they never go away. I mean, I do this thing on social media, Your Daily Dracula, mm-hmm. where I post an image from a Dracula movie or TV show or a, you know, game or advert, cartoon, whatever. And I thought that that was going to last about three months. But we're coming up <laughs> to three years and there is no end in sight. So it's something that absolutely permeates culture. I think you can probably not go through a day without coming across Dracula in some place mm-hmm. or some reference, just if you're uh, you know, scrolling the internet or reading the newspaper, watching television, walking down the street, at some point in every day you will be confronted by the shadow of Dracula <laughs> somewhere. And I, there are a few other things in, in culture that have that absolute all pervasiveness. And mm-hmm. uh, there are some things that sort of loom big and then go away. Um it, yeah, it, it's like uh you know Tarzan's huge yes. pop cultural figure. There's a town named after Tarzan, <laughs> which Echo Rice Burroughs you know uh, uh own basically but Tarzan, uh the last Tarzan film didn't do any business. And it's like that was a story that they would go back to every couple of years and it would always kind of click. The last, I it seems maybe that is falling off the mm-hmm. cultural radar. But Dracula and Sherlock Holmes and the Three Musketeers are still on. Yes. Uh, the Christmas Carol and one or two other um big popular culture things. They will remake every Deckard and Hyde is another one, and Frankenstein, uh, Peter Pan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every year you will get a version of one of those stories, yes. or a reboot, <laughs> or a reimagining, or remake, Alice in Wonderland. Um, but there, there are like only 15 of these <laughs> stories, yeah, these, these mm-hmm. kind of multimedia franchises. And I, and I suspect, um, the the more recent ones that uh, are hemmed in simply by um, copyright or rights ownership. I'm thinking of James Bond or Batman, mm-hmm. which are wholly owned by corporations. The thing about Dracula and Frankenstein, Jekyll and Hyde, Three Musketeers, whatever, is that they are out of copyright. They are open source. Anybody can have a swing at them. Uh, and I think that that... Uh, um, means of course you get many many more knockoffs and ripoffs and, and, and sort of lazy versions well, co- but you wouldn't have those if if there wasn't a core of power there in in the first place yeah, yeah, yeah. if there wasn't so much really good stuff uh, that it's still possible to come up with new variations or new versions or new ideas it's like the the new spin on dracula that you get in so many things or even just going back to old stuff i mean there are so many uh, things in the in the novel that uh you can you know extract and highlight and and uh you know do as whole little films in themselves
0: mm-hmm.
1: the fact that we've got a film named after renfield yes who is like in the cast list of, of the dracula films or t or plays or tv shows is like hey <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, there's already been a film called van helsing Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I I think there is a film called Mina, and I, I there's a French art movie called Lucy in the Mirror. Um, uh, so yeah, it's like when your supporting cast are famous. Yes, when people know the the names of, of archetypes, it's like I mean, even out just outside of versions of Dracula or um, yeah, classic gothic horrors yeah the archetypes of van helsing mina lucy renfield you can find them in so many yes. horror movies yeah you can look at um they yeah they, they uh, uh, yeah alien has. Uh, Amina and a Lucy on board the Nostromo. Yes. Yeah, it, yeah, Veronica Cartwright is the screaming woman who dies. Sigourney Weaver is the sensible woman who sort of bonds with the creature and lives. Yes. <laughs> you see, that's a, that's Bram Stoker's idea. Yeah, and actually, in um, Alien Three, Paul McGann plays Renfield to the alien. Yeah, so it's like you that uh, that you can find these versions. You can find these characters or these archetypes seeded throughout horror, and some of them aren't necessarily things that Stoker invented, Mm -hmm. but probably he he put them in a form that was um, replicable.
2: What like you mentioned a point there about uh, obviously the cat like yeah certain characters are now getting their own films stuff like that. Obviously on the horizon we've got a film that is just one section of. The yes, novel, right? But The boat, right? the boat. Yes. yeah. The boat's the boat. got its own film but at
1: this yeah, point. I, that, I mean, uh, you know, that, I know that's been in development for a, a while, but uh, again, Alien is the Demeter section yes. of Dracula. Uh, yeah, a bunch of people on a boat and the mysterious thing in the cargo hold is killing them off one by one. Yeah, and that's, just, that's just one chapter of Dracula. And, and, and it's in Strictly, it's the kind of thing that, you could drop from the novel, and it wouldn't make any difference, except he's brilliant, yes, because it doesn't feature any of the main characters um it 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 i mean obviously it features Dracula but not as a a character that you actually see up close, he mm-hmm. doesn't talk in it, he's just there the monster um. And I think that there are, there are I mean, I saw uh, last year there was a, a film actually, I think, called Bram Stoker's Van Helsing, which was just Lucy. It was just Lucy being sick and you <laughs> don't see Dracula. And that it makes you, and, and I think the people who made that realize that the exorcist is the Lucy section of Dracula. Yes, yeah. it's, the, it's the girl in the bed getting sick and nobody understands why. And various doctors come in and can't do anything. And then the wise character, the Van Helsing character, comes in and can do something, but at a terrible cost. Yeah, there it is. But again, that's another couple of chapters of Dracula that you can then turn into. And I've seen um, versions which is just Jonathan in the castle, the first couple of chapters. Yeah. uh, and, And... some of the plays drop that and do just the drawing room stuff. (laughs) Uh, And it may well be the fact that that Dracula is uh, a great popular novel, but Mm -hmm. not Dickens or Jane Austen. Uh, And actually, of course, Dickens and Jane Austen have had weird riffs and, 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 and whatever, but people who adapt it often feel they have a license to fiddle with it, to draw <laughs> things out, to do different stuff, which people who are adapting Shakespeare maybe don't. Yes. You know, uh, although, again, there are plenty of Shakespeare, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah uh, modern-day versions or, you know, Westerns or whatever.
2: What was it that kind of, like, drew you into the, the story of Dracula and kind of developed think, this love?
1: Well, I say my first... Uh, it re- encounter with the story and the character Bella lugosi film yeah. and i think it was him it was lugosi the, the performance um that it's not even for 1931 it's not like other film acting um and i of all the the great monsters dracula is the one who could talk to you yes and that actually is really good. I mean, and, and Dracula doesn't talk much after the first couple of chapters. But he talks a lot in the first chapters. The Frankenstein monster in the book is articulate, but in the films, he he grunts. You know? <laughs> um, but Dracula, you can have a conversation with. I, I, I mean, I look. I think the thing that I find interesting about him as one of the archetypal monsters is that. Most monsters don't have a choice. Yeah, you know, The wolfman is cursed. Yeah. Um, the Frankenstein monster is is horribly abused by his parent. Dracula has chosen to be Dracula. <laughs> he is, yeah, he knows the difference between good and evil, and he has picked evil. He has picked being a predator, being a parasite. Um, and that's all he wants to do, even though he is, um, you know, cultured and sophisticated and has a, a breadth of skills and, and, and abilities and powers and a title and money and all this kind of stuff he has chosen to be a computer yeah. <laughs> uh, and i i actually slightly i mean uh, because i think obviously the room for all manner of interpretations and i kind of like yeah george hamilton with the suntan as dracula i think he's very funny uh, but the I, I the ones I really like are, are Lugosi or Christopher Lee, where Dracula is just evil. Mm-hmm. Um, I I find the the performances that you get from Gary Oldman or Frank Langella, where Dracula is trying to be romantic, mm-hmm. sort of don't quite click for me. Um, he's still creepy. He still needs to be. He's, yeah, he, uh, and I think the story doesn't work if he's not a monster.
2: Yes. Yeah, it, it, even though that that Coppola one has got some really monstrous imagery, right? Of 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 Dracula like the kind of the look of Dracula in that is, is quite terrifying. Like I watched it quite recently and it's got again and it's like oh. Um one, yeah, what what obviously you've you you've written novels about Dracula. What was it that kind of drew you to 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 writing about Dracula? Oh, in well,
1: it? for the novel it was um
0: is just the, the i was probably
1: thinking of those um do, do you know the marvel comic series what if
0: yes yeah
1: yeah yeah so it is a, a cartoon a while back but uh, but the original comics from the the 70s and the 80s and dc had a similar thing called imaginary stories and that's when you do an alternate version of a fictional character. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there have been plenty of, you know, what if the Nazis had won the war, or <laughs> yeah, the, the British Empire had never fallen, or all these kind of stories. But my, so my thought was, what if Dracula won? Uh, <laughs> and, and, but I was thinking also of, of probably of those things of, you know, what if Spider-Man joined the Fantastic Four, all that, that, that yeah. So just exploring the uh the world of dracula but with a different plot and a different angle and then once i got into that it as a concept grew and became uh, yeah much more interesting to me and i hope to to the reader in that there but the idea of dracula winning of taking over the country of, of changing the world was very appealing mm-hmm. uh, but also uh, it kind of had a lot of contemporary resonance yes um, I mean, it, it, actually, it was the the book's thirty years old now, mm-hmm. so it was written under the influence of Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher, or whatever. But uh, in it was republished last year in an anniversary edition. I thought it, uh, what what's changed in thirty years <laughs> is that we all now know what it's like to wake up and discover that literally the worst person in the world (laughs) is now in charge of the most powerful nation on the planet. (laughs) Um, And, yeah, I think that may well be one of the reasons why the book is still in print. (laughs) People go, yeah, it's like people understand all too well now what it's like living with somebody, yeah, Utterly self-obsessed, monstrous, and unreasonable, in absolute charge. Yeah, because in, yeah.
2: in the story of Dracula, right, he kind of, kind of gives up his plans of world domination, yeah. doesn't he? I, I'm
1: <laughs> never quite sure. Uh, it, Stoker obviously got more interested in the domestic story than the <laughs> story or whatever. And so, Dracula in the in the novel is actually kind of a loser. Uh, <laughs> He's got these great plans, and then they're sidelined because he becomes obsessed with the wife of a junior solicitor. You know, it's almost yeah, um, pathetic uh, <laughs> uh, for, a, for a master villain to be brought down by to this really petty level. And I think that there is a sense that when when Dracula comes to London in in the novel, he's out of his debt.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: there's a there's a great line where somebody says that they've seen him walking by the Thames wearing a straw hat that doesn't suit him. <laughs> and so he's like this tourist, you know, or, uh, yeah, uh, the, the, you know, the foreigner who doesn't quite get, you know, yes. written. Uh, and there's even a bit where, where they're doing that thing of going around the houses to destroy his coffin so he can't use them. And they find the sink where he's shaved. And he's not washed it out. And so it's got hair and foam and bits of blood around it. And you've got this sort of uh, the idea of Dracula as somebody who's useless.
2: Yeah, some kind of like useless bachelor, right? Kind of like <laughs> and, loafing and around. But
1: Bram Stoker did that deliberately. I think it's a, it's a strain. And you can't go too far in it because Dracula then becomes completely pathetic. I think Bridger, the, the, the film that does that really well is Blood for Dracula with Udo Kier, <laughs> uh, where as somebody who is so completely out of time yeah, that, that he's sort of wheelchair-bound and feeble and there are no virgins to drink anymore. Um, and, and, yeah, he, he's horribly dependent on his servant, but he's still viciously abusive of him. Yeah, uh, And I think that that, again, it's a reading, of the role it makes dracula a complicated villain in an interesting way
2: yeah what what are some? you've mentioned a few of the standout kind of dracula film what what, what would you say are kind of yeah up there as like the totems of of oh, dra- well, dracula yeah, in obviously, cinema
1: go with the, the lugosi film i've i've got a lot of time for dracula's daughter mm-hmm. um i think I, I think there are things about Son of Dracula I really like as well, although I don't think Lon Chaney Jr. is a particularly good Dracula. Uh, of the Hammer films, I really like the first couple. And actually, some of the later ones um, taste the blood of Dracula and the satanic rites of Dracula. Then it, it's Blood for Dracula, vidokir I like the Louis Jordan TV film Count Dracula. Um, and obviously Nosferatu yes. in, uh, in, in both the uh, Klaus Kinski version and the uh, Max Reich FW Murnau yes. version. Um, then it's you get to stuff. Yeah, uh, you know, it, 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 I suppose in the modern era, the um, the Dracula to be is Adam Sandler, um, <laughs> who had more as probably. And he's not the first to play Dracula as a sitcom dad. Yes, (laughs) That's a surprisingly common approach. There's the whole Monster High franchise, and there was an anime, uh, Don Dracula, which seemed to have been first hit. There was a BBC show called Young Dracula. Again, this idea of Dracula as sort of out of touch but well-intentioned father, Um, that's a... A reading of how the hell did that happen mm-hmm. As a, yeah how did one of our great icons of unregenerate evil <laughs> become this guy maybe grandpa monster yeah <laughs> the, the, the thing that that, that turned out. because because the monsters is a universal um property and so it is essentially the um a, a mutation of the the universal pictures yeah the Karloff Frankenstein monster Lugosi as Dracula, uh, you know the Wolfman, all that, that lot. They're, it's it's sort of uh, the 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 kids version of that, the Monster Kid version. Yes.
2: So, what were your thoughts when you first heard about them them making Renfield him?
1: Um, I suppose I thought another one because you know, <laughs> I mean, for I mean, I can think of two novels about Renfield, and there's been a previous movie, Renfield the Vampire. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it'd be gone over. I thought uh, there were things about it that I struck that struck me as interesting. The fact is a Universal film. Um, I thought that because Universal have had various problems with keeping their Their monsters going Mm -hmm. Uh, probably. I mean, the monsters had a a fairly grim reboot this year. But I'm thinking of stuff like Van Helsing, Dracula Untold, Mm -hmm. the Tom Cruise version of the Mummy. It's like they they had all these properties and they sort of screwed them up. Yeah. Big budget rubbish. They were going to, you know, the Mummy was going to be the beginning of their kind of version of the the Marvel movies. Wasn't yeah, it? they, yeah. up, they were going to do a whole bunch more, and it was just so disastrous that so they scotched that. And then they went back, and, and the the film I think is is the template for Renfield is the um the reboot they did of the Invisible Man, Elizabeth Moss, which took one of their less well known. Franchises. Mm -hmm. I mean, they'd made four or five Invisible Man films, depending on whether you count the Abbott Costello picture. Mm -hmm. Um, And going back, um, and again, that that gave you a version of that story that was not one you had seen before. It told the story of the Invisible Man from the point of view of someone who couldn't see him, rather than from his point of view, Mm -hmm. Um, which was very clever. It was very effective, and it, it. it worked and it did well. So I assume then Universal decided um that they would do that with their
0: mm-hmm. properties.
1: They would go and make smaller scale, slightly more um adult oriented uh pictures that, that were allowed to be scary or to do different things. Um I, I actually I think I mean Renfield doesn't lean particularly into being frightening. It is um, a, a horror comedy, rather mm-hmm. than a, a full-out horror movie. Again, um, I, I have no real problem with, with that. I would kind of like like to see a scary Dracula next. Yes. <laughs>
2: yeah, because I, I I guess even with the Invisible Man and Renfield, it seems that Universal is still kind of up in the air what they want to do, right? And then yeah, I, the
1: thing is, what they did in the nineteen thirties and forties, and, and and probably. The most important film they made was Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman, Mm -hmm. because that was the film that proved you could make a crossover. You could pull together disparate stories into a franchise. Yeah. the Avengers is essentially Frankenstein meets the Wolfman or, or House of Frankenstein. You know, you establish a bunch of characters, you bring them together in, in one big team up. None of that would have been conceivable if it wasn't what Universal did in the 1940s. Then you get the, the issue that. Obviously, if you're a company, you want that kind of a, a franchise and they sort of managed it for a while with their previous reboot of the mummy the brendan fraser yes. films, which i'm not even sure if that's definitively over because i think they're still making scorpion king movies <laughs> uh, but but that yeah I, I, the franchise which some people have a fondness for i didn't particularly care for it myself but uh i, I, I there was an ambition and scale there that that kind of i I don't know because I, I understand that Renfield hasn't made the money they would have liked. So no. we're not going to be seeing more of those, which on the one hand, it doesn't really matter because I like it enough as it is. Uh-huh. And maybe, uh, uh, and but it would be hard for instance, to do a follow-up which had Renfield and the invisible man together because the styles and tones and moods and approaches of the two movies are idemical. I mean, they they don't yes. really go together. You couldn't do a, a team up. I mean, or you you could, but it would be a stretch.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah massively. Um, I,
1: yeah, it, though it, though in theory, Thor and Iron Man shouldn't be in the same film, but they managed to get away with it. Yeah, um, or indeed Frankenstein and Dracula come from yeah different. Uh, universe is a Fiction. Yeah, because yeah. you even um, kind of
2: had it in the 90s, right, when they kind of, yeah. we had a resurgence where you had you had Coppola doing Dracula, you had uh, Kenneth Branagh doing Frankenstein, yeah. and then wasn't there a Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde movies? Yes, not
1: was Mary Riley.
2: Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and, yeah, I, I think maybe every time somebody does one of these stories, you get, you know, somebody else feels obliged to do them all, <laughs> you know.
2: um I think we're probably due a Frankenstein soon. Yes, definitely, definitely. Um, so, what did you think of the casting of of Nicolas Cage? Obviously, Dracula is such an iconic character. I I, I can
1: see why he wanted to do it. Yes. <laughs> but, yeah, and but also I can see why that that was something that seemed. Um, from a, a creative point of view, it's a pitch, isn't it? Nicholas Cage as Dracula. Yes. But then the film isn't about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Nicholas Hoult does the heavy lifting. Yeah. And, and, and I, I think brilliantly, yeah. it's a really interesting point. Obviously, it, people have underplayed Dracula effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, strangely, Klaus Kinski underplays Dracula. <laughs> and, and, and Louis Jordan, I think, does it brilliantly. It's one of the chilliest performances in the, the role, but it's kind of low key and charming, rather than the Christopher Lee bangs beard hissing snarling, <laughs> or even you know Gary Altman uh that, you know goes for the, the throat literally, and yeah the the scenery chewing it's like, and I think obviously Nicolas Cage is having to compete with all of that. But also, he's having a play. He's not just playing Dracula, he's playing Bella Lugosi's Dracula. Yes. Um, Just as Nicholas Holt is playing Dwight Fry's Renfield, not Bram Stoker's. Um, So you get, uh, yeah, uh, and and actually, uh, again, with his uh, interest in silent cinema. Mm He does seem to be doing Lon Chaney in London After Midnight, that lost vampire movie. Yeah, uh, the teeth—he's he's even wearing the same hat. Yeah, and the, uh, the teeth, and, right? And, yeah, and and the, and the 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 shark teeth mm-hmm. is is very Lon Chaney. But I'm glad to see that it's with all—it's not just an imitative performance. It is a version of Dracula we've not seen. Uh, the 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 kind of weedling manipulative toxic boss um, <laughs> I, 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 and i think the thing that, that, that i was is the bits where um, where dracula turns around and is dependent and guilt trips redfield yeah you know, that, that it's sort of again that's not a dracula we've seen before uh, but it's quite effective
2: yeah there's there's that amazing scene that like two-hander between them when he comes to visit him in, in his apartment right that kind of like you get this he's almost like love bombing him and then making him feel guilty for like i need you renfield like why have you, why have you done this to me and like making him out to be to be the monster in this kind of weird codependent relationship so good because this film acts right as a as a, as a direct sequel to the 1931 Todd Browning yeah, film, I think right? It's
1: the first sequel since Dracula's Daughter in Amazing. 1935, which I thought was great. <laughs> yeah, and he even uses the font from the, the poster yes. for the, the title, I mean, which, which I thought was, was wonderful. I suppose, like The Invisible Man, it's a study of a toxic relationship. And maybe that's not a bad way of rebooting your monsters. Mm hmm. Um, and, and logically, the next one is Frankenstein, which is about parents. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because you've had The Invisible Man, which is about a, a toxic boyfriend. Dracula is a toxic boss, and Frankenstein is a toxic parent. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's actually, a, that would make a good trilogy. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I think they're doing Bride of Frankenstein or okay. That Wars on the Cards as a possible next one. Um, yeah. I will say that um, that 2 hander scene in in Renfield's apartment. Um, I don't know if they'd done it deliberately, but it uses a joke from one of the Anna Dracula books.
0: Ah, oh, amazing!
1: The thing about the welcome back,
2: I made that up. <laughs> amazing! <laughs> yeah, I love that. Like, what, did you know beforehand that it was gonna it was gonna be a sequel, or was it kind of when you saw no, the? No, I
1: didn't. I mean, and I, and. I, I saw quite an early screening. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I may even have seen it with, yeah, the, the effects weren't 100% finished when I saw it. So I, I went in not even knowing, I mean, I'd seen the trailer, um, which it slightly misrepresents the film, but in an interesting kind of way. So it wasn't, yeah, uh, it, it it did it literally came as a surprise to me where they went with it. Yes, uh, And I thought that the choice of making a follow-up to the, the Lugosi film and starting with the footage from it, and, and I mean just for people who are not Dracula obsessives, in the 1931 Bell Lugosi film, Renfield goes to Castle Dracula in, as Jonathan Harker does mm-hmm. in the book. And you know Keanu Reeves as John Harker in in the the Coppola film, or the the character in Nosferatu. But by having um, Renfield go to the castle and then go mad, um, that means that yeah you know, he it, he has something to do in both. <laughs> Sections of the the, the narrative, in many many films, um the Hammer film kills off Jonathan Harker <laughs> after the first the castle section because there's not that much more for him to do. Yeah. You remember what Keanu Reeves does in the rest of the Cobra film? He comes back with white hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Other people are carrying the narrative. Yeah, yeah. Um, but and, and it was it, it's. It's almost certainly down to Garrett Ford and John Baldiston who wrote the, the the 1931 film, because it's not the case in the play. Um, but you have this thing of Renfield being your through line, mm-hmm. the guy who goes to Transylvania and brings Dracula back and then becomes his minion. Um, and, I, and obviously, yeah, uh, uh, Bela Lugosi is a pop culture immortal. But mm-hmm. so is Dwight Fry. Yes. I mean, yeah, Alice Cooper wrote a song about him, uh, and it's a, a. I don't know. Probably. I mean, you saw the the film the first time recently, isn't mm-hmm. it the most surprising performance in the movie? What uh, the it, Dwight Fry? Yes.
2: Right yeah. 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 It's kind of like it's like it's got this menace to it. It's it's quite. It's it's surprisingly funny like yeah 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 he's he's, 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 he's great and, at and
1: it not that laugh yeah <laughs> it's like everybody remembers to do lugosi's dracula voice i noticed that the nicholas Holt does dwight rise laugh yes at one point it is uh i, I think it, the, the strangest peter mcnichol did it in uh, dracula dead and loving it um a film Really doesn't work, but (laughs) Peter McNichols' Renfield is really good in that, yeah. Um, and that actually also uses, I think, most of the script of the the Lugosi film, (laughs) as indeed does the 1970s porn movie Dracula Sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing, which also features a Renfield who does that laugh.
2: (laughs) Amazing. So, how obviously, yeah, somebody who's well versed on all things Dracula. How, how well does, does Renfield kind of stick to the lore of, of the character, or does it well, blend it? Well, it
1: makes stuff up, which sort of... It, it has this thing of uh, Dracula giving Renfield some of his powers in order to keep him alive, mm-hmm. um, which uh, it's not absolutely um, original to this film. It has been done before in some ways. I mean, I, I, it actually, is, I think it's even done in um, the Love at First Bite, the George Hamilton movie, as Renfield, Artie Johnson plays it in there as somebody who's preserved uh, out of time along with Dracula. Um, they, uh, but this is the film that explains the mechanics of how he's done it. Um, and I think it fits in quite so nicely. It, it, it's sort of a, a, a thought-through mm-hmm. version of vampirism.
2: Yeah, and there's like the, 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 his blood brings you back to life, right? And it kind of like, yeah. w- were, were you surprised as I was by like the, the gore in this film? Because it's quite, it's quite gruesome, right?
1: It is. It, it's very gruesome, but it's somehow not upsetting. It's like yeah, yeah, yeah. People you don't like having terrible things done to them. Yeah. And
2: it's, uh, it, it does that kind of evil dead two thing, right? By turning yeah. the violence up to 11 that you, you kind of yeah. like go, Oh, it's it's, 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 it's broached into funny now, as opposed to yeah. being disturbing.
1: And I, and I think it, it, the, the, it's Nicholas Holt and Alquafina in the middle of it, a sort of sweet. Mm-hmm. And that gives you someone to relate to, for instance, I mean, I, I, I quite like the current Evil Dead Rise, mm-hmm. but it gives you nobody. No, <laughs> uh, you, you, It's like you come out of it and it's been amazing. But I, a couple of days later, I couldn't quite remember who everybody was and how they related, what the, 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 what the plot and the story was. But it's got gruesome and horrible things happening. Uh, And it's kind of nasty, whereas Renfield, strangely, is kind of sweet.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of Uh, like walks this tightrope, right? Of kind of balancing. It kind of sidelines the horror completely to be like kind of.
1: I'll say, my preference would be for a Dracula who's who's scarier at some point. And and who knows, maybe um, The Voyage of the Demeter will actually do that. It will go with a. a, a, And of course, there's another version of Nosferatu as well. So that. Yeah, who knows what?
2: <laughs> yeah, how that's going to pan out. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure it will be very period specific, as it's a Robert Robert Eggers film. It will be very. <laughs> um, yeah, well, uh, as I, as I
1: am, obviously, yeah, I look forward to it.
2: Amazing, amazing. So, let's talk about Nicholas Cage's performance. You said he kind of he, he's doing Bella Lugosi. What what kind of? What were there things what were there things that you liked about his performance apart yeah, like, from the kind of i mean
1: I like the fact that he's doing Bell Lugosi. he doesn't do the the uh, kind of an impressionist bell Lugosi. he's doing stuff like the the gestures rather than the voice the voice is easy i mean the voice. the thing is if you if you just do a Bell Lugosi impersonation you get adam sandler <laughs> yes yeah um and and you can't get away with that. Uh, and and the, the weird little tittering and giggles he does, uh, 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 there's a bit of Max Schreck there. It's a sort of self-delighted villain, you know, the the guy who knows how bad he is and lets you know that he doesn't. I mean, there is a, uh, it's, it, I suppose it's almost a Disney villainess. Reading of Dracula isn't it yeah, yeah. Uh, I liked the look as well. I thought that the yeah the the uh the costume was good the mm-hmm. uh the and and yeah the the teeth and the outfit it's still it yeah it's effectively striking without just being the uh, because again if you if you get into Bella Lagosi's costume now, you look like grandpa Munster.
2: yeah <laughs> yes. Yeah, and it's kind of like I tell you, there's a there is a timelessness to it. Yeah, it kind of like the the there's like quite modern cuts to to the necks and stuff like that of, the, of of the clothes he's wearing. Like I I found I I found him just like like you said before. It kind of on paper as a pitch, Nicholas Cage seems perf seems perfect yeah. in the role. Right? It's like it's like he's kind of wanted to do this role. You'd imagine ever since. Nineteen eighty seven he had a stab at it with Vampire's Kiss and it's kinda of like he's been chomping at the yeah, bit I, to do it ever since.
1: I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Um that he, he I mean he's pro- he's of the generation that would have seen the 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 Lugosi film on television when he was a kid. I mean I'm sure that that's it. It's a, for instance I I know that um uh, because I because I know people who worked on it, Benitio del Toro made the wolf man mm-hmm. because his favourite kid was Frankenstein meets the Wolf Man, and he hoped it would be a big enough hit. Uh, he said that apparently he and his brother used to play Frankenstein meets the Wolf Man, and it's this thing that's what he really wanted to do. Um, <laughs> and actually, the Wolfman was another Universal horror reboot that didn't really click. Um,
2: <laughs> so, wh- where would you say that Renfield kind of fits within the the, the canon? of 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 Dracula films. Do you think it would be one that will will, will, will stand the test of time? Obviously we're talking at a time when it kind of we're hasn't only
1: just out. <laughs> yeah 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 yeah, yeah. It's like but like certainly uh, for a while um it had seemed likely the la- I mean uh, as I said the most successful Dracula reboot of the last thirty years is Hotel Transylvania. Yes. <laughs> Then there's a whole bunch of terrible films. I mean, Van Helsing, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which Dracula isn't in, but Mina is. Um, Dracula Untold, I thought was all right, but didn't, again, it didn't click. Um, there was that Jonathan Reese Myers TV series. Um, I quite like the BBC's stab at it with Clay
0: mm-hmm.
1: Um but the last episode of that threw it all away. Um, the Blade Trinity has one of the worst Dracula's ever. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so did Van Helsing. Yeah. And so Renfield is, is yeah, uh, mainly because the competition has been pretty poor, um, is up there as one of the best Dracula's of the 21st century. We'll, we'll be interested to see because it's, I know, besides. The Voyage of the Demeter. Um, Chloe Zhao is working on a, a science fiction western Dracula. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Robert Eggers is doing Nosferatu. And um, Marvel are doing Blade. Yes. And they just announced Mia Goth was playing Lilith, who is in the comics the daughter of Dracula. Oh, <laughs> so presumably Marvel must be you know, looking around for somebody. Yeah, they will. I don't know. They'll get Antonio Banderas or somebody to come in and play (laughs) the Tomb of Dracula version of Dracula. Amazing.
2: Um, And obviously, Renfield is a horror comedy. Like as somebody who's kind of yeah made a name for yourself as kind of being a a master of knowing all things about horror. What's your kind of thoughts in general on the kind of horror genre, uh, horror comedy genre as a whole?
1: I've got no problem with it. I mean, it it, I, it it it's very much a a matter of and horror comedy has been part of the the certainly the the cinema genre since the Cat and the Canary in, in the silent period or the Old Dark House, and I love those. I think it helps probably if you can actually have proper proper scary stuff and proper laughs. I, I'm not a fan of the the trauma approach to cinema, mm-hmm. where you put a couple of jokes in because you haven't got anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's like, and if you then sort of defensively say, "Oh, it was supposed to be shit."
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. You use the criticism, but uh, so I think it needs a bit more mouse than that. It's not an easy mix to to pull off. But when it's pulled
2: off well, it works. Because obviously, they're they're both pulling from a similar reaction from people, right? They're both they're both looking for involuntary yeah. reaction to a film of to from from the audience, right? But one is either you want someone to laugh, the other is you want them to be scared. So they almost I don't know they almost seem.
1: Well, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's the thing they say that. Um, when you preview a comedy or a horror film, you don't even have to read the cards yes. to know that it's working <laughs> or not. But if it's like a, a rom com or a drama uh, or a, uh, uh, an action movie, even you don't know until you until people tell you. Until yeah, that that, that they're up, up on a high. Yeah. With with horror, you can actually stand in the lobby and know whether it's working. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: and certainly with comedy, you, you get that. You know. Amazing, amazing. Well, yeah. As we start to wrap things up, uh, Kim, I uh, <laughs> this is the, the, this is a silly question I ask people yeah. based on on the films we discuss. Obviously, we've looked at Renfield today. Based well, on this film alone, Kim, is Nicolas Cage the greatest actor of all time?
1: Um. <laughs> He's not even the greatest actor in the Beatles uh, <laughs> Nicholas is, the, is is the outstanding performer in this film as, as it should be because it's called Renfield yes uh, I, I yeah i think I think it's a really good supporting performance yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And actually, I also think it's a very canny move on Cage's part to take Dracula as a supporting role
2: one hundred percent
1: rather than just go through the. Yeah, just be another Dracula and it, you know, in a Dracula-centric movie.
2: And it's quite a yeah. generous performance from him, right? In the oh, fact yeah. that...
1: he I mean, uh, I, you get this from people who, who work with him as well. For somebody who is a, a very large performer, he doesn't stamp on other actors. Yeah, yeah there are uh, other actors that people don't want to work with when they're there. No matter how brilliant they are, they're a nightmare to be on screen. But I think, I, I mean, obviously in the last in phrase, the the, the, um, the way that he works with Nicholas Holt here or with Pedro Pascal in the unbearable weight of, of men's talent shows that he's a great you know, two, two-hand two actor, mm-hmm. two-factor. I, I, yeah, all, all the way back to Laura Dern in Wild at Heart or Holly Hunter in Racing Arizona. Yeah. Uh, he knows when he can get people to batch him.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I, was, <clears throat> I always find it fascinating, like, watching Cage on screen. And, yeah, like you're saying, like, the way he bounces bounce off people. And I've, I've managed to, like, interview countless amounts of people who've worked with him. And they kind of say, not just is he a lovely guy, just, like, his work ethic is 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 insane as well. Like he's, I think he yeah. even Nicholas Holt was saying for this film, like weeks out, Nicholas Cage was off book, like knew the film inside out. Like, so Kim, now you get to program a triple bill of films based around Renfield's got to be in there, but one of yeah. them is a Nicholas Cage film, another one is a Dracula film what are well, you what are you I mean,
1: there 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 are no choices it's dracula bello Lugosi, right and it's vampire's kids perfect uh, which which are actually probably uh underrated as, as a, yeah. a, a nicolas cage role. it's not really a vampire movie mm-hmm. um you it, unless you accept that jennifer beals maybe actually is playing a vampire um but nicolas cage isn't but it's certainly w- one of the films where C- Cage goes to extreme. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it and actually, it's it's probably a more disturbing film film than Renfield, isn't it? One hundred
2: percent. And it feels like a film that was like ahead of its time in a weird way. It feels, well, yeah,
1: because it because people weren't talking about the entertainment industry like that <laughs> yeah because so, because he's an agent isn't he that's the yeah the, i think he's a literary agent rather than the uh, the show business agent but the the harassment of his secretary in that um and, and, and I, I suppose everybody in the movies knew people like that yes and that clearly informs the performance <laughs> um but i i think it is one of more
2: terrifying roles yeah and it's i think the film kind of acts as a i don't know like a really damning on kind of 80s yuppie culture as well in the way that um american psycho does and that's kind of a film that has won the hearts and kind of do you mean you look at something like letterbox and it's always one of the most watched films and stuff like that people love it but it feels like with vampire's kiss because it was poking fun at the time that it was made in 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 the 80s it's like almost like oh no we can't we can't look at ourselves as as these gross grotesque people it's like i think that
1: i I really like the movie of american psycho but i think that it's possible to be an american psycho and like that movie yeah yes yes. yeah. Vampire's kiss it's much harder to get behind, and think that that guy is your role model. Peter Lowe yeah, is your role model. Yeah.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's lo- he's loathsome, isn't he? He's kind of like yeah. grotesque. Yeah, yeah. Like it, even before he starts doing the um, the Mac Shrekisms and the yeah. the Nosferatu moves, amazing. So um, I like to always close out. With a, a, any guest I have on Kim, by asking them which is their favourite Nicholas Cage film, so which is yours?
0: Cross uh,
1: up between Raising Arizona and uh, Bad Lieutenant, uh, sorry, Bad Lieutenant, portico Call, New Orleans.
2: Yeah, fantastic, fantastic choices. Uh, t- two, two different sides of Cage as well. You get kind of yeah. doing Roadrunner. And doing one of a, a, a deplorable kind of uh, <laughs> a policeman, amazing. So, um, where where's the best place? For, yeah, what 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 have you got coming up on the horizon, Kim? A, any books uh, to look forward oh, to?
1: I, I'm working on a novel, but it won't be out for a while. Probably the thing that at the moment, I'd say the the 30th anniversary edition of *Anna Dracula* is out there. Uh, As I say check check me on social media every day for uh, your Daily Dracula, which is archived on my website. So you can catch up with three years' worth of Draculas.
2: Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Kim, for coming and getting caged in with me.
1: Oh, happy to do it.
2: and there we have it ladies and gentlemen a massive thank you once again to kim newman for joining me what an absolute delight it was to have as i said at the intro of this podcast an absolute legend in what he does An um, absolute fountain of knowledge um and I like the fact that Kim probably uh, wasn't up for my shit. Uh the, the episode was probably a bit different to, to how it usually was. Some of that is because I was nervous, guys. I was I was kind of in awe. Kim is somebody who I massively look up to and um I know it's something I should get better at. It's just people at the end of the day we're just having a conversation about a mutual interest and a passion, which is film. But you know what? Sometimes you get you get you get a bit nervous around people and the that is uh what happened here but all in all it was a fun time had for me and hopefully a fun time had for you um if you agree uh with our views on renfield or want to carry on the conversation about all things dracula Please do so by heading over to all the socials. So that is at Caged In Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd and TikTok, uh, where you can find me over there or you can drop me an email, which is cagedinpod at com. As for next week here on the pod, um, we're taking a little two week hiatus of any new episode next week to celebrate Sophia coppola's birthday i am re-releasing my conversation with the fantastic mary wild all about her 2010 film sofia coppola's it's not mary's um i'm sure mary would make uh, amazing films but she she hasn't made any and certainly didn't make one in 2010 but yeah we're talking about we talked about somewhere It's one of the earlier episodes of Coppola Connections and was a fantastic chat. So you'll be able to listen to that again or listen to that for the first time next week. And then the week after, well, we may just have a break or we may just um, pull something else out of the archives to release to you guys to listen to. The reason for this brief hiatus is some of you may know, a lot of you probably won't, but... I am in the process of um, recording the first season for a new podcast called Getting Defoe You, like what we've done here with Nicolas Cage by watching every single film in his filmography. Me and Daryl Edge, who you would have heard here on this podcast and of Cage Rage fame, are embarking on yeah the entire filmography of willem dafoe which if you just do a little google is a mammoth task and we just really wanted to get the ball rolling and yeah just booked basically um and an an insane recording schedule you don't really need to know the ins and outs all you need to know is to keep an eye out for that as well you can find that on all the socials so that is at getting defo no that is get uh, that is at defo you pod on all the socials as well so check out there for any announcements on when that will be released but yeah we've got some fun stuff lined up and already in the can and we'll be announcing when that podcast will be launching very very soon so i hope you join us over there for that as well if you've enjoyed this episode or any other episode of the podcast please head on over to patreon.com forward slash pod where you can support the podcast financially or you can head on over to team public especially if you're a u.s listener and grab some amazing shirts designed by the fantastic tim sinclair or you can head on over to etsy and uh yeah i think you would be able to type in caged in pod find the store and there's a couple of designs up on there which i would recommend for uk listeners more so than us just because of shipping uh shipping to the us works out really expensive from uh it's a uk printers on that whereas uh, public are international or us based so I set up two different stores just to make it cheaper for you guys depending on which side of the ocean you live if you don't want to part with any money that is absolutely fine you can support the podcast by heading over to YouTube uh, and joining joining caged in TV our brand new venture where I'll be uploading videos where stuff that is adjacent to the podcast stuff that I can Want to talk about, but don 't really feel like I have an episode in me as such, just kind of video essay esque content and kind of uh, think pieces, if you will, that will be um yeah debuting up on there and staying there, or again, you can head on over to Apple podcast Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this right now and giving me a lovely five star rating in review uh, remember in your rating and review to let me know what does bill murray say to scarlett johansson at the end of lost in translation or what is your favorite nicholas cage film and each and every answer will be read out on the podcast so as ever guys i've been petros pat syllabus i've been caged in you've been amazing and i'll catch you next time Pack your bags with high quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365 day returns.
0: This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections,
2: a Town Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you.